I don't have anything planned. I've got yep. a rough idea of where I want to go. Yep. You ready? Yep. You just ask me questions and we'll go from there. That's the plan. Yeah. Well, Katie, thank you very much for being on Life, Universe and Dan. <laughs> You're welcome. Very excited to be here. Uh, how do you feel? Nervous, but I'll relax. Yeah. Mm. Well, we're currently sitting in Katie's new place. How mm. long have you been here for? A week. We are in Katoomba and it's a classic Katoomba February where it's freezing cold and raining and foggy outside. Mm. I was not anticipating that, so I'm in a t-shirt in a little house. I'm pretty cold. Um, but you've been you've been living down the bottom end of the mountains, hey? Yeah, I, I was in Wetma Falls for about six months um, and then was with mum for a couple of weeks when I got kicked out. Not kicked out, but like things happened with that place and then, um, yeah, stayed with mum for a couple of weeks and then found this place. And how long have you been... Back in, in New South Wales, you've been in Victoria down in Melbourne for a, a while. Year. Yeah. A year, yeah. A year? Yeah, it's been a full year now, which is nice. I feel, well, I, yeah, I, I was sort of settled and then it's unsettling when you get a new role, recently change roles and then moving again. So it's always a bit unsettling, but <laughs> yeah. This change can be a little confronting at times when we go through that adjustment period. Yeah. Speaking of change, because you were in Melbourne where mm-hmm. with your previous partner mm-hmm. and you were just sort of not just but you were working in cafes and yeah doing retail retail hospitality. random things yeah but this new job what's what's the what's the new job so when I moved back January of 2023 um there was the reception role going at Belong at the neighborhood center in the mountains um do you want to just explain what Belong is a bit yeah more? yeah so Belong is Inherently a, a neighbourhood centre, but it's also a community centre, and they do they do a lot of different things. So they have three different centres. They have four different streams. So they do the aged care stream, families, youth, community, NDIS, and obviously finance, and building maintenance on top of that as well. So they're they're a lot. There's like seventy different staff, um, and they're. Their idea is to help people, like, you know, reach the community and build a sense of community and, yeah, be a support um, in the community, which they have been for a long time, actually. Yeah, Katoomba Neighbourhood Centre has been around for decades and I think so was the others as well. And then they joined about five years ago. Um, it's one big one. And so they're, they're a private, privately run mm. organisation, but yeah. they work with... Yeah, funded by the government. Funded by the government. But, yeah, not for profit. Not for profit. Yeah, yeah. And you said before you started it on reception. Yeah, started in reception and then went into um, intake for their aged care strip for their aged care services. And now I've just started in my new role, um, doing uh, like social support care coordinator for the aged care services. Um, so that's basically helping vulnerable people or people over 65 access to the community again if maybe they can't drive um, or they've lost mobility and they're not able to sort of walk around or you'd sort of help them go shopping or go to the library or you know maybe even just have a cup of tea with them at home okay yeah or you know you're going to help them access some more services so they have a bit more support around them yeah and you were thinking you're doing social work at some point yeah i i'm sort of halfway through (laughs) halfway through a degree um I did my diploma of community services a couple of years ago um, and then that gets you into second year uni. And then when I was when I was started 
uni, we went into COVID and lockdown about three weeks and it all went online and I just didn't, that's not me, <laughs> couldn't cope with that at all. So I, I managed about six months and I dropped out and then, yeah, deferred and then dropped out. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the idea is to go back or this is sort of... Toying with it. Um, yeah, I haven't... I'm not like super keen on the idea, so I haven't done it yet. Because I think especially study is something that you really want to be not motivated to do, but at least sort of feel like ex- <laughs> excited to go back and finish. And I'm just not sure I'm, I'm there yet. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. No. Yeah. There's no... Yeah. No. no need to rush that. Yeah. And how are you finding the, the, new, the new role? Um... It's really different to anything that I've ever done, um, especially coming from more like uh, customer service and things like that. It's definitely challenging in that way, but um, it's a lot more in line with who I am and what I'd like to do. Mm. Um, not, I don't know, forever, but it's like helping the community and being in the community is, is pretty important to me. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to be able to be like people focused rather than admin focused on the computer it's a lot more like chatting one-on-one with people which is much more my sort of yeah what I like doing and is that in person or is that on the phone a bit of both yeah mostly in person though because you actually take people out um oh okay so they come in yeah you can take them out shop food shopping a lot of people need that um or you know, someone might just want you to come over and have a cup of tea. You know, it's actually just having a chat, making sure that they're sort of socially connected, connected to the community again. So you're not necessarily doing the social work, but you are providing some level of support. Yeah. So you're not doing the like the mental health side of things? No. You're just, you're just helping them go through life? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe they've um, lost mobility and they're in a walker and they're not stable on their feet. Um, so they can't go food shopping and they haven't been able to go to church or something like that or whatever it is that mm. they used to do. Um, so then you might take them food shopping and you might go, oh, great, let's get an occupational therapist out so you can get some rails or they can help you be a bit more mobile and make you feel a bit safer. Um, and then you might go, oh, we can get some physio out as well so that will help you you know, strengthen up your muscles and help you be a little less um, – sorry, help with falls preventions and all that sort of thing. Mm. So Belong, especially in the aged care stream, is is all about um, safety in, and independence mm. and, like, keeping people out of res- residential care for as long as possible and keeping people at home. Mm. Um, that's their aim. So all of the sort of services are, are geared towards that. So, like, whatever that looks like, depending, OT, physio, you know, it's all that sort of – that's what they do. OT being occupational therapy. Occupational therapy, yeah. I always use the acronyms and then no one knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do, but I'm just yeah. going to clarify for the wider for the, audience. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. We, uh, yeah, people do listen to these, which is fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what, what what's the motivation behind wanting to help? Because it's not not everyone wants to be of service. Not everyone wants to be part of the community. I, I, I myself, you know, I, f- mm. I, feel a, I feel a need to be a part of it. I feel a bit... Mm purposeless without it but what what about yourself you want the real answer the real answer okay that's what we're here for um i think like growing up with dad oh yeah it's it's always in the back of my mind like is this really something that's an inherent inherent uh, inherent passion or is it like something that's 
subconsciously not drilled into you, that's an awful word, but like subconsciously conditioned. Part of, conditioned, thank you. Yeah. As part of growing up with someone who was very sick. I don't know. And it doesn't really matter what the answer is. But and I think Mum and dad were always very community-minded people yeah. and wanted to be a part of communities and help the environment and all that sort of thing. So I think it's just like sort of conditioned but also a pretty amazing way to be. Yeah. Yeah, and want to sort of be in that world. It's <laughs> Not-for-profits are hilariously underfunded and there's no money and it's always a bit stressful, but everyone that works in that sector has a passion to be there, especially at Belong. It's quite admirable how hard-working everyone is. Yeah, someone who's close to me said that it's a calling. Yes. It's what drives them. Yeah. As as hard as it is to be in community and supporting people, especially people who who come from varying backgrounds. Yeah. Very financial situations, very emotional situations. It it can be really full-on. It is. Um, There's such a wide variety of humans out there and experiences. There certainly are, yeah. I imagine you see, and I, and it would be, yeah. I guess that that maybe we're here now. Um, I thought we'd get a little bit further into what you've been doing before <laughs> we start getting into it. Fuck it, life of life yeah. universe and Dan. Let's get stuck into it. Yeah, yeah. So, if anyone hasn't figured out, Katie's my little sister. Um, so we're the I'm the eldest, and she's the youngest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're we're one of four. Um, and as she mentioned before, we grew up with. Uh, with with a with a very unwell parent for for a, one of the parents for a long time, mm. um, so we could have a varying exp- experience mm. on on what it was like to grow up with, with dad who had an autoimmune disorder like a muscle wasting disease inclusion body myositis. Um, it started off a lot. Started off, you know. He passed away, what, 14 years ago? Mm-hmm. So I was just probably 12 or 13 when things started to change. Mm. Maybe before we get into dad, what's it like being the youngest? I don't know what it's like. I'm the eldest and I'm the eldest of on the Crawford side of all the grandchildren. So I'm always, <laughs> I've always been there. Yeah, you've always been the eldest. Um, what's it, what's it like being the youngest of four? I... I, it's not only the, I'm also the youngest, but I'm also the smallest physically. <laughs> so I feel like that's always played a big part in my role. I don't have the literal strength that you guys have, which is sort of funny. Um, and I always, I mean, the, in terms of like familiar roles, and I can't remember who whose theory this is around like Four oh, kids. PML. I think it's some work PMLity PML did. Yeah. yeah. Where the youngest, I know the eldest is the hero and then the youngest yeah. is like the peacemaker. Well, they're addicted to family. So they're the hero, yeah. and not like the hero in the Superman no, version. No, but the it's The hero like, in their like family is. Yeah. They've got to be like the, they've got to they've fall got on their the, sword. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for yeah. family. And then the youngest is sort of um, the joker or yeah. not the joker, but it's. Is there a, the scapegoat or is that the middle? I think that might be the middle yeah. one. And then. Or the peacemaker. Yes. And I feel that. You can be the peacemaker. Yeah. Especially yeah. at the moment. Yeah. I'm, I sort of have always had that. Not always, but definitely later in life, I feel like I have that. Not so much the joker, but the, the peacemaker probably. Yeah. I think the peacemaker is a good, a good uh, description of mm. what you're But what about when you were really little, living out at Daisy Bank? 
Daisy Bank, for anyone, is a, was a farm about three hours west of Sydney in what we call the central west of New South Wales in Australia. It's mm. in the middle of absolute nowhere <laughs> at a place called Dark Corner mm. next to Sunny Corner, if you could believe, mm. um, out on the, off the Great Western Highway. It was a funny – they called it – the locals called it a funny farm. It was called Daisy Bank. Called a funny farm. Yeah, it was a yeah, right. block of 13 properties – 13 lots under 500 acres, yeah. community group. Some wackos, I can tell you. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, we left when I was about five or six. Um, oh, you must have been younger. Yeah. I reckon. Oh, you left about left Daisy Bank when you were five or six. Oh, yeah. sorry. I think when we moved out there when you were No, five. no. Sorry. We moved out when I was about 18 months, I think. Um, it was weird because before I went to school, I went to a, a preschool in Portland. You went to Portland? Yeah. You Portland didn't go preschool. to Meadow Five. Well, I did for a year. But before that, I went to preschool in Portland. And oh, preschool. Yeah, preschool. I, I still smell coal when I, I go out to say. Lithgow and I am brought back to that horrible <laughs> that horrible preschool where I'd go there and get like temperatures and get really sick because yeah, I hated fear. it so much. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I had this distinct memory. I sort of talked about it in therapy so many times of it's, it was the, at the end of the day and I remember you and April walking down the steps to come pick me up and the joy <laughs> I felt knowing that I could go home was I still remember that that's how much I hated that place and I smell coal and I go into because there's obviously the coal trains yeah well there's also the power station out there power station Wallerowang power yeah. stations out of Portland Portland yeah. was a mining town it was yeah and a I lot s- of the parents that of kids you went to school with yeah. worked in the coal mines so it's and it's I mean Portland's quite a it's a beautiful spot but it's <laughs> It's been nice. It is a yeah. beautiful spot. It's a strange town. It's a strange it's town. I think it's definitely better these days than what it used to be. But, you know, back that was 20 years ago, 20, God, 25 years ago almost. Yeah. So it's very different to what it is now. Yeah, it would be a, bit, it'd be a bit much bigger little town. Ta- much yeah. bigger little town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just not as – I think it was like one of the poorest towns in New South Wales or something. So yeah, it sort of well, gives you an idea of what it's like out there. It's pretty, it was pretty rough out the west anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so what was it like being on a f- on the farm? Because, you know, I have very different memories. I was a bit older. Yeah. Um, I loved going into the, the back paddocks and going down to the springs, we called them. And to yeah. The I remember we, we would just I would just disappear off into the paddock sometimes with April, sometimes with Dan. He must have been young too. But yeah. Did you ever come? I don't think you ever came. Not really. Us. I was sort of a little bit too little. Um, yeah, so yeah. I'd get left down a lot, actually. <laughs> no, I remember Dan and I used to play in the woods, in the pine trees, I think. Yeah, they? near the Behind community the house. house. Yeah, I think we used to play out there a lot and that was fun i definitely liked it i've always sort of had a thought of going back to the fairy glen but it's a complicated feeling very yeah because you could get out there you could without anyone really knowing that you're out there but i don't know if i'd go into mild panic if i (laughs) tried to go (laughs) for a bit of a breakdown so (laughs) yeah trauma response yeah totally oh absolutely um and did Moving back into town, ta- moving back into town, moving back to, we eventually moved to Bathurst, mm. um, living out in the middle of nowhere, was yep. had its had its benefits, but after a while as kids start to grow up, schools, private, yeah. you know, boarding, oh, not boarding school, sorry, high school, yep. it was just too much for mum and dad. What was it like for you in, in Bathurst? Did you start to notice anything with dad? You're probably still too young, but did um. Yeah, I remember when we went on holidays to Queensland, I think it was back in 2000. Do you remember Annie and Simon 
on the holiday yeah, with we a big went family. To tweed, r- tweed waters. Yeah. Is that what we did? Yeah. Yeah, just on the New South Wales Queensland border. Yeah, and I think that was the first time I'd noticed anything strange with Dad because we were all kayaking or something like that, um, and he couldn't do it because he just wasn't physically able to. I think we were sailing on catamarans. Yeah, yeah, but you had to like row yourself. Yeah, or maybe we were kayaks. I know I was I'm not. I'm not sure. It was something like that we where you were sort of rowing. I think we went on a little skiff at some point. As mm. well. Yeah, there was a huge, big um, ocean bay thing that they yeah. had access to. Very vague memory because I was only about six, but um, and I remember that was probably the first time. Good memory. Yeah, he wasn't able to actually come with us. Yeah, yeah. I and then probably like Illawong as well. I think probably a couple of years after that. Mm. Um, Illawong's a lodge the family were members to down in the snowy mountains. Yeah. On memories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I remember the first time, I was probably about three or four, where I was, I think I got proper skis, um, trying to ski, do cross-country skiing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done cross-country st- skiing, but it's not for the faint of heart, especially when you're four years old or four or five <laughs> And just like skiing along and then falling over and just getting my skis stuck vertically <laughs> in the snow. Yeah. Like, Dad, help me. <laughs> just crying because I was like, what is this? But it was fun. Definitely fun. Yeah, definitely a different experience. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I'm not as sort of physically adept as you guys, I think. So it was always a bit, a bit more challenging. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so then, so I know you guys went to Bathurst Public for a little bit, but then mum and dad moved you to All Saints. Yeah, that was a weird year. What was that like? Bathurst, uh, Public? Bathurst Public was strange. That was one year of my life. I think I, I repeated you one um, just because I wasn't coping at school very well. I went to school when I was five and it was too early. Um and just like had learning difficulties or not, I just, it's not even learning difficulties. Back then, that's what they called it. I just we know now that kids all learn very differently. Yes. And I didn't get the attention I needed to actually no. make it through school. Um because just of a couple of pretty atrocious teachers, I must say. Um, well, that yeah. just, you know, pretty normal. But again, that was crazily twenty five years ago, so it's I think it's pretty different now in school systems. But um yeah Bathurst public was strange because I'd gone from a tiny little school where the whole of primary was in one classroom (laughs) to having like two or three different class like sizes like 30 kids in Mm. maybe 60 kids in like year one or something do you know what I mean like two different classes in the same year. So you did go to Meadow Flat for a little bit? Yeah I went to Meadow Flat for two years then went to yeah, Bathurst Public for a year and re- repeated year one uh-huh. and then went to All Saints when I was in year two. Um, and that was probably not any better, but I don't – I've never had a fond memory of school, so I don't mm. – I'm not a good judge of that either. I envy kids who like school. And <laughs> it was always a bit of a torturous experience. <laughs> what was torturous yeah. about it? Um, I just could never keep up and I would disassociate and zone out because I couldn't keep up or not even keep up I just wasn't interested either or like and then teachers would scream at me because I wasn't 
paying attention because I just couldn't. And um, that's one way to reinforce a struggling student is to yell at them. Yeah, yeah. I just I have a lot of funnily enough traumatizing memories of just being yelled at by teachers. Um, worked at it in therapy, but you know these things must take a while to change. <laughs> sadly, but um, yeah. So yeah, it was always. I never really enjoyed it. It was always a bit of a challenge. And what's uh, what's 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 your memory of home life like? In you know, contrast, so you got school not so great. You're not enjoying mm. it. You're getting yelled at. You're disassociating. Mm-hmm. You have a li- different learning style that it's not suited for the traditional schools, which I don't think mm. many people are actually suited no, for it. No. Um, and then you got home life, and you know we're living. We move around a bit in Bathurst. Mm. Bathurst is a, a funny country town. Yeah. Two hours, three hours west of Sydney. Yeah. We had some nice houses, but what? Yeah, what's what's home life like for you? Chaotic, <laughs> maybe. Mm. Not chaotic. It was always nice. Jen no. and I would play a lot. But it was. It was chaotic. You had experience of chaos. Chaos. Mm. Dad was sick. There was four of us. Yeah, what's what's your view? What was what, what was it like watching? Because you're the littlest, so mm. you're sort of looking up rather than, mm. you know, my resp- my experience is always having to do things that I didn't want to have to do. Mm. You're having to observe the chaos. What's it like observing the chaos? I'm in the chaos, so it's different for me. It quietens you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that until now, but. I'm an observer. Observer, I was about to say. Mm. Yeah. I've always have. I, mean, I always always have been in big groups. I've always been the observer. So you never. You sit back a bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't like. I I have fond memories of my childhood. Absolutely. Um. We. Yeah, especially like playing with Dan a lot. We would play together a lot as kids, um, and that was always nice. And that didn't really change until he hit puberty which was only a couple of years before I did, but that's when we went through a hilarious stage, but we'll, we'll get to that. But <laughs> just where, you know, kids become teenagers and they're a bit... They're teenagers, really. <laughs> yeah. Hormones are strange things. Yes, yeah. But as a kid growing up, yeah, it was always a bit chaotic, but um, always felt loved for sure. And But it was a weird experience watching Dad get so sick. Yeah, what, what's, what's your your memory of... I guess the, per, the 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 role of our parents in in your life and the sort of do, do you feel that there was it was hard for them to provide sort of consistent like dad's dad's illness had a, had a huge was a huge focus was it did mm. it feel did you feel a sense of I don't want to use the word abandonment but a sense of that, that not always having your needs met. Yeah, and I, I'm I don't I'm not judging either of them. No, either. No, yeah, it's just it, it's just you know I don't think we were the focus because Dad was the focus. The focus. Yeah, unfortunately, but I think they always helped as much as they could. But when that's sort of the forefront of everyone's minds, that's sort of you know other things go to the wayside, or you don't realize that you need to speak up about something until it's a problem, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Mm. And with dad's illness was pretty pr- was progressive over time. 
it, it sort of got it got worse exponentially worse at the end. Mm. Was what was your what was it like watching? How was it watching your dad get sick? Very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I imagine you don't have much of a a childhood with him. No. You're younger than that, maybe. So. No, I. You're seven years younger. Eh? Yeah, I have one memory of him being well. He was helping me ski down Illawong when I was probably maybe six. I think even then he wasn't that well, but like he was still skiing, so maybe I was a bit younger. And after that, it was just progressively worse. So it was honestly awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that, but it just like, especially I think I was 15 when he was really bad because that was a year before he died back in tw- uh, 2009. Um, and you're a teenager working through all your teenager shit, but you're not because your dad's not all barely walking or, you know, whatever it is. He's, you know, dying. I, I didn't realise that at the time. I was too young to sort of realise that that's what was happening. Um, it was a lot of – I mean, that's when my depression hit was when I was 15. Um, that's sort of – it was like a switch almost. I remember when I was in when I was fourteen, I was actually doing okay. I had some nice friends. School was school, but you know things were fine as much as they could be when your dad is not well. But when I hit fifteen, it was like something just changed, and it was probably now I think about it, probably because dad got was starting to get really bad. Mm. Um, you know, he was barely able to walk. We had a lot of carers in the house, so that was also a bit weird. I got depressed and all I could do was read books and that was my escape and I just wanted to run away, essentially. Yeah, so I'm, you're 15, I'm 22. I was well and truly gone by then. Mm. I was out of the house yep. pretty much. You and April were gone and it was me and Dan at Daisy... Uh, Daisy at... Um, the House on the Hill. Morrow Place. Morrow Place, yeah. yeah. So that's where yeah. mum and dad finally moved to that was a bit... Flatter. Flatter for dad to, walk, to either use a wheelchair or to yep. dad to just walk up and down the hallway. Yeah, And then, to their credit... I was at the brink of dropping out of school. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to make it through high, uh, high school. I think I was either going to leave at the end of year nine. I think by back then you could still leave at the end of year nine. Um, Mum had said, you can't leave unless you have something to go to, but I was just going to go. I wasn't going to make it through. So to their credit, they moved me to Coral and that kept me through high school. Yeah. Um, and then they eventually moved up. I stayed with Kimmy for... Maybe six months. I think she helped me. Blackheath. Yeah, Blackheath. She came and lived there. Might not have even been six months. I'm not really sure how long it was. Yeah. Because they were looking for houses. I think Dan was finishing his HSC. So it might have been six months to a year. I can't really remember. And then Dan was finishing his HSC. So they stayed back for him. And then they had like three to six months at Blackheath living there while we were finding a house. Mm, I remember that. I think this timeline. Yeah. And then we obviously bought. Let Street, um, and moved in there. Oh, that'd have been twenty ten, I think. What? Yeah, th- unfortunately, yeah. Dad passes away. Yeah. Twenty ten, August fourteenth. Yeah. yeah. So I think we moved in, and he passed away pretty much a couple of months later. So yeah, I think. Yeah, it's sound right. It does sound right. I think May. What's the timelines? April, May. You get it. The, the house. Yeah. Handover. Yeah. The house. The Bathurst house sells. 
but before that though, you know, you're sort of talking about your experience with dad mm. watching him get sick, the sort of the, the intensity of that, your own depression. But what was your relationship like with dad with dad? Um It was good actually. <laughs> I mean, in saying that we had a lot of fights. And oh actually no, we, we wouldn't have we didn't have a lot of fights, but the fights we did have we would scream at each other or I would scream <laughs> I would scream at him and like all of my frustration would be pent up and then I would rage. Mm. There was a few times. I think I've raged at you a few times as well. But um, yeah, it it was good until it wasn't and then it would be okay again. But he was always very supportive and would always help me like write essays or, um, you know, where he could he would help and – he always had a lot of faith in my ability, which was nice. Sorry. Take your time. Mm. And it was, yeah. Yeah, it was nice because I think he always saw something in me that I have never really been able to see. Um, and that's a pretty amazing feeling. Even when your dad's really sick, he still, you know, wants you to succeed, obviously. But, yeah, he sees he sees possibilities and, um, yeah, I have fond memories of watching TV and having a laugh and he would help me write essays and it was like trying to birth a child, <laughs> trying to write those bloody essays in high school. Um, but he would always just sit there with me and help, which is nice. Mm. Yeah. Um, because it was just you and Dan for a while at home. Yeah. Yeah, Dan and I. And yeah. mum, what's 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 your relationship like with mum at that time? Not now, at that time. Oh, I don't remember. It was pretty good, I think. I think we we're all just sort of surviving, so I don't really remember. Yeah. Um she was so busy trying to look after dad. So I don't – Morrow Place. Um, yeah, I don't really remember all that much, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we all played our different roles in in helping out with – with well, just helping out mm. <laughs> in, in, a, in the most basic sense of the word. We all had to grow up a lot faster. Yeah. I know there are certain things that, yeah, certain senses of responsibility that I, I've unfortunately put upon myself as mm. in, in, you know, in life to, to, to be a certain way. What was it like, you know, being there for dad? To sort of, I'm sure there were times when you had to do things for him. He was mm. pretty childlike in his dependence at times. Mm. Did did you have much involvement in that? Um, not as much being the youngest, but definitely, definitely a few traumatic times where I was sort of having, not look out, looking after him, but well, I was looking after him, you know. He was working and I was watching TV thinking that nothing was wrong. would go in and say hi occasionally because, you know, he was fine. Um, 
And then all of a sudden April comes home and Dad's got his head on the his office desk and he's like just gone downhill within about three minutes, just like that. And I just had no idea because I probably didn't check on him as often as I should have being 15 and watching TV um, and just like having to call an ambulance and it was just like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, it was... I don't think you were meant to check on him at all. At no, 15. it was it's just the like... Role. I know, and you you know that, but it's just like when someone is like completely fine working and then all of a sudden they're sick within about five minutes. Yeah. And that's how quickly it happened. So you called and you called triple zero. Luckily, April got home from work because I was on the phone to this woman on triple zero. Like, I don't know what's happened. I can't even talk. And April had to get on the phone and talk to the lady. But, um, yeah, I, I just was like, I don't know what's I don't know what's happened. He's yeah, so she had to be the adult and <laughs> talk to the lady on the other end of the telephone and it was that's just what happened with him. He'd go into hospital all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He'd do that a lot. I mean, if you think about it, it was a year before he died, so he just wasn't his body wasn't as capable, it wasn't coping, you know. I missed the the really bad part of it. I had gone to you I was on my gap year. Mm. By that point, I was pretty shocked when you guys arrived in the UK. Mm. Um, to early 2000 or mid-2006. Uh, 2007, no, you mean... sorry. 2007, we went to the UK, we went to Europe when I was oh, in my gap year. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. sorry, 2005 I finished school, 2006. That's right, I was 13. I work on the farm. Yeah. And then I go overseas. And, um, yeah, mid-2006 I go overseas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and Dad would have progressed pretty quickly. Yeah, well, I remember being pretty shocked. Yeah, getting off get when you guys arrived, and he's in a wheelchair, and he's quite Thin. quite gaunt. Yeah. Um, so, you, you, how do you think that impacted your, your you know your school life? And then, if, if you're going through, cause they're still in Morrow Place at this time. So, Dad, when you come to mm. Europe, you're st- when you come to Europe in 2007, you're still mm, I was Morrow 13. Place. Yeah. 13. Um, I was. I never got into trouble because I was always really quiet and I never was like a problem in inverted commas because I never like said anything I would just like zone out or not really pay attention and then just sort of do the bare minimum to get by but it wasn't like I was acting out or anything I just yeah so the teachers never really paid much attention to me until it was like test time and they realized that I just sort of like barely <laughs> getting through and those bloody year nine and ten tests, I can't even remember what they're called, but they're just awful, useless. No, yeah. Yeah. I think if you were to listen to Gabo Mate, he would he's one of the foremost expert experts on trauma. Mm. He would have the classic ADD, attention yes. deficit disorder, Absolutely. not the hyperactive disorder yeah. that a lot of other people develop. But you know, we all did, but I think at the stage of your life, it's sort of it's actually it's more it's more pronounced for you because you're going mm. through an earlier development. I was in my twenties mm. when I was twenty two when Dad dies, and mm. you're fifteen. So it's there's a different developmental stage. I still present with ADD symptoms. Um, mm, me too. Did you did you did anyone ever give you any support? We didn't really talk about it. Like school just blamed it on you, right? Like they just yeah. said it's your fault. No one ever actually asked how you were going at home or no, no one said, is everything okay? Or there no. was no 
check in on, on your home life. It was just you're a piece of shit kind of thing. Pretty much. I think I remember having one decent teacher in year five who recognised that I was struggling in school um, and he would help yeah. and would give me extra time on tests and just let me finish rather than stressing me out to actually get it done in a certain time. And I think he was the only teacher in primary school where I felt like mildly supported because I was struggling so much. And then in high school, because I would just sort of scrape by, um, no one ever really cared, which is sad. I mean, that was All Saints, um, which was very different to Coral, I have to say. Yeah, well, All Saints, for its, for it, you know, its model was the old school model of development. Yeah. School was more of a centre for discipline. Yeah, and they cared more about whether your hair was tied up as yeah, was more right. than your well-being. Yeah. And that's what I remember from yeah. that school. Well, it's 100 and something years old these yeah. days. Yeah. It's 150 years old and I think, yeah, it's that hardline country boarding school, mm. Anglican tradition. Yeah. Very much beat you into submission, make you a model yep. student, sort of citizen and don't let you sort of think freely or have any sort of nuance at home no. and the nuance at home was you coping with an unwell parent and yeah. another parent who had to look after that yeah. unwell parent and then being probably ADD and hating school and I remember when I was 13 we were in religious studies which was Christian studies essentially and having a fight with was he the pastor? No was he? Which the one? priest I can't remember what his name was and I'd have fights with him about karma and then he told us that he sacrificed a toy bunny, like literally nailed it to a cross because it wasn't a part of Easter. And we were a bunch of 13-year-old kids like, who the F is this psycho? (laughs) (laughs) What are you teaching us? Yes. Like, what is your problem? Yeah. I just, yeah, I I still remember having a fight with him about karma. It's so funny as a 13-year-old kid, just like, you're a moron and I hate you. (laughs) Like. (laughs) What's wrong with you? No one really understands what karma is anyway. No, they don't. And I certainly didn't at 13, but this guy definitely didn't. And he was a grown man. But It's just cause and effect. Yes. What you put out to the universe is going to come back at you. I just, yeah, it was funny. And so that was sort of my experience of All Saints, at least. And then moving to Coral was... Like a breath of fresh air. What? So what's their what's their tradition? Their learning tradition? Um, Are they Steiner? No, they're like an independent school, and they're more. They're sort of more focused on like not focused on art, but it's just a bit more holistic than um, a regular school. Um, so I was just instantly more supported. Yeah. Um, and I was only there for six months and then dad died but even then you know I hated it but they made me do a bit of therapy and I felt like at least people cared what was happening um not that I you know sort of let anyone do anything about it but um I stayed in school so that was sort of the main thing yeah so you dad after Dad died, you stayed, you were still at school. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, so he died when I was 16, so I was in year 10. Um, and that was hard. That was hard to be in school and and deal with that. Um, 
like I was they made me go to work experience which was poor poor Uncle Sam I had to go like not had to I decided to go to work experience with him and I just was like <laughs> so hard <laughs> I just remember being at, the, at, at, at his office architects, yeah. Sam Crawford architects yeah and that was great but I just was a country kid who had no idea how to navigate the city and would get lost and like call mum when she's in Illawong on a hike or something and be like where am I <laughs> lost there's no iPhones at that stage so no <laughs> Different, um, different world. Yeah, so that was that was after Dad died, and yeah, it was a bit shit, really. I don't know. What's, what's it like losing Dad? What was it like? When we were in, not far from here, actually. We're in Katoomba at mm. the moment. It happened at Katoomba yep. Hospital. It did. Um, I think like. If you grow up not knowing how to regulate your emotions, that doesn't change when you're a teenager. It doesn't change when you're an adult either. But it was just sort of a lot of numbing um, and depression, Mm. honestly. Um, There wasn't a lot to do about it when you're a teenager and you don't really want to have to deal with any of it, so you don't. And, you know, I was... Mum tried to get me into therapy and I tried that a few times but it just didn't really stick because I didn't really want to listen to anyone. Um, why didn't you think it's why didn't you want to listen? What was it about the experience that made you not want to listen to? I think it was just too painful to talk about. Painful, yeah. yeah. And not feeling comfortable around an adult to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and maybe not feeling that comfortable with emotions in the general. Definitely not. So yeah. the thought of actually having to go into them. Yeah, it was really hard. It's taken me a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't our experience, as well in my experience, but I'm not sure similar. It there was no real there was no real chance to sort of have to be taught about no. expression no. as kids. Yeah, there wasn't even time to be taught how to like just to be kids. That was no. sort of you just had to yeah. deal with it. And yeah, in my experience, and and school definitely doesn't teach you about it. So <laughs> if you're not learning it at home, then there's no chance you're going to learn it at school either. I mean, imagine if we taught kids how to emotionally regulate at school. Well, they are now. They do now. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Teaching them to meditate, teaching them to yeah. co-regulate. It just has to happen because you just get adults who right. can't function. No. Yeah. As sad as that is. And you're also told that certain emotions are okay, but others aren't. So yeah. anger is not okay. Well, yeah. in our, f- our family, unfortunately, with you know, you talked about rage before. Oh, I, I, w- I raged. Yeah, well, that's Dad's experience too. Yeah, Dad, you know, it's the Smith side, Smith thing, yeah. Smith side, Dad's family. Kevin, our grandfather, my our dad's dad, angry had man. huge angry pro- anger problems. I have a different experience with it. That, uh, anger is tied to a whole bunch of things for me. Again, in my experience in these last few years of doing some some really big inner work, someone very close to me often says that anger is also an emotion. Um, yes. And it should be nurtured. Mm. And it, it's when it's not nurtured, it becomes toxic and then it becomes yep. rage. Yep. Sometimes it needs to rage. What was it like processing the emotions of of and the grief of, of losing your, your father? At 16, because you're going through your own hormonal changes as it is, mm. and then suddenly you've got this huge emotional burden. What's the cocktail of fuckery like? Uh, I didn't process it, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, I I had Emma, mm. and she... Emma's your good friend. She's my best friend, yep. 
Um, actually, a lot of my a lot of my school friends, Anna as well, and and Louise, were all and Clive were all there at Dad's funeral. I've known them for a very long time, um, and they have actually always been there, um, which is pretty amazing. But Emma was a bit of a lifesaver um, because she we were very codependent, but you sort of are at that age anyway. Um, we were sort of each other's lifelines in a way um, and she kept me steady and supported, um, especially when, you know, mum had to go work in the city and I was doing my HSC alone and she was that lifeline to keep me on the planet, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, that was... Like the worst experience, but going through grief and then being alone and then, yeah, it was, it was challenging. Yeah. Is that a metaphorical on the planet? Was there, are you, or are you just saying? Um, yes and no. I never was that far, but I never really wanted to be here either. Mm. What's and that like? I think, like, it's sort of weird because you just don't want to be in your reality. Mm. And especially being 15, I just wanted to escape into a book. Like, literally. I didn't want to be here mm-hmm. on this earth. I wanted to be over there. Um, because it's a lot easier to be over there than be here. Um Yeah, which I I don't know if you class that as like a type of suicidal ideation. I hate that word, but that's fine. You know, it it sort of is, but it isn't. Um, No, let's just call it what it is. It is. Yeah. Never went anywhere, but that was how I felt. Yeah. I've had it too. Yeah. I don't like. It's sort of hard not to when you've got anxiety and depression and trauma and grief. And yeah. There's a lot of reasons not to want to be in the. Physical reality. Yeah. It's it's a challenging experience when in to that point before where you haven't been taught to regulate and you haven't been taught that feelings are okay. Yeah. And you haven't been taught that to feel pain is also to feel joy. Yeah. To feel fear is also to feel excitement. Totally. To feel grief is also to feel love. Yeah. To feel shame is also to feel whatever the other side pride. You know, these mm. these opposing, I suppose you. it's a good segue into the, you know, I look at my own experience and I've had to go through my own, you know, recovery. Um, mm. I didn't, you didn't go down the route of drugs and alcohol, something that no. I, because I did escape. Um, mm. I found my way of escaping. I found in, in definitely in other forms of literature, books and, and movies and TVs and stuff. And then I would add layers of drugs on top of that, especially marijuana, because mm. I could then completely descend into a different world. Yeah. Um, you didn't choose you didn't you didn't you didn't choose drugs. No, I just chose depression instead. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's that's the reality. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the, the absurdity. Yes. <laughs> that and that like and I think I mean it was me that chose that, but Emma was very much against drugs and alcohol because of her own family history of, of that. 
um, just, just, and she doesn't, it wasn't for her. And I always felt okay not to do it because I had her as like a, off, not offsider, but you know, we were sort of together in that. I mean, it's really hard to go through high school and not drink, really drink and take drugs. Yeah. If we're being honest, like that's, you're a bit of an outsider if you don't do that. Yeah. Um, so that was. You're a bit of an outsider if you don't do it I In anywhere. society. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that was, that was actually great to have her because we was sort of solid together doing that. Um, and I was always supported by her wanting me to not do that. So it was never something that I needed to do, but I would do it, you know, I'd escape with movies and food and yeah. all that other stuff. And probably now social media, you know, it's, yeah, so it's, yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, I'm interested actually to, to sort of your observation since you said you're the observer. Mm. You know, Dan and I, once he got old enough, we used to smoke a lot of weed together and mm. party, when I say party, like take acid and mm. do coke and things like that. Uh, he obviously didn't do it as much as I did. did, did were you aware of it, mm. observing us? Yeah. Um, but did you know how often it was? Or did you just see a smoking weed would become... Or wait, forget Dan for a second, just me. Was it sort of watching me? Did you notice the change, the difference? Um, I don't think we were particularly close growing up as teenagers because there was a huge age gap. Yeah. So I, And then obviously you were in Sydney and I was in Bathurst. So I yeah. don't know if we saw each other that much then. So I don't know if I had much of a reference... But I, I knew, I definitely knew. I didn't, I don't think I realised how much, but I definitely knew with the weed and things. Yeah. Um, and with Dan too. Um, and I, I've always tried not to be judgmental, but it's always, I mean, it, you, know, you just get off your high horse. You were judgmental of people who do it. I, I'm just going to be real. And I, I think I've always tried not to because it's not my place to judge someone else's journey. But when you see the destruction, I think it's hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. Mm. Um, it's hard to watch now that I'm a couple of, couple of years sober and watching people who yeah. care about around me or just people I don't even really know but can see that drugs it's and alcohol so are affecting their lives. Totally. It's, yeah. it's, it is, uh, th- it's, totally, it's total poison. It's, yeah. There's nothing about it that is remotely yeah. Um, good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is, you know, that's taken me a while to get to, get to that point. We both have a, have a similar experience with one of the. Um, I always laugh when you. We always call it SPP, uh, but it is a psychiatric hospital, it is. which is printed on the front of it when you go there, and you don't really yeah, notice right. it till you leave. No. Yeah, there is a huge um, sign at the front that says "psychiatric yeah. hospital." Yeah, and right. So you sort of realize it's a voluntary private hospital. Uh. Um, but I, I, you go in before I do, um, yep. and. I have a memory memory of doing the family family program with Dan mm-hmm. and Mum. April didn't want to come to that, and that's that's her own journey. Mm. I did never heard of it. What what was the um, motivation? Well, motivation's not the right word, but well, it was a motivation. I so I was living in Sydney. I was about twenty three. Um, I was working full time at a catering coordinator job. So I just finished my diploma in event management. Was that Nosh or Nosh or something? Uh, yeah, uh, for, this was Forte. So that was the. The catering side and then was it Nosh? Nosh? Something Nosh? Maybe April and I did Nosh. Doesn't matter. You did. Anyway, that was the event. That was the like waitressing sort of you'd go to big stadiums and things like that. Do you, I think you did that for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I did that too. Um, but then I was a catering coordinator so I'd 
basically event management and um, corporate corporate jobs and all that sort of stuff. You know, you'd organise the food and stuff for events or weddings or whatever. Um, and my anxiety and depression were so bad that I just had a bit of a breakdown. And I think I, I was doing like two days a week and then they offered me the full-time job, which was pretty amazing because it was my first full-time gig um, in like a good company. Um, but... <laughs> I remember this because they gave me the role because one of the one of the coordinators was going overseas for three months. Mm. Freaking hated her. She was such a bitch. But anyway, she was just mean. <laughs> People are just like catty and mean mm. when you're trying to learn. Like I had been in hospitality before then. I didn't know what I was doing, and she was just mean about it all. I just and I was obviously very insecure, and that. Not a good combination. Yeah, really bad. And I was just incredibly insecure about how I did my job. I didn't know how to ask for help. I would sit there with like mild panic attacks most days. And that just like, that falls on top of you after a while. And I just woke up one day when this, funnily enough, when this girl was coming back in the office and I was like, I can't do this. I can't go back. I can't keep doing this. And um, yeah, so I've just had a breakdown about it all, about my life. But how did you know about South Pacific? Um, because Ash's brother Cam had gone there when he was coming out of addiction and mum suggested it because I think she'd heard about it from, from him or from Ash and she knew that I needed... Timeframes are just confusing. So I was with yeah. Ash at that point. Yeah, yeah. When I was 23. My whole life is... Yeah. I know, it's weird. Flashing before my eyes as I listen to your story. Was it 23? Oh, no, it would have been earlier. Well, it's seven years ago. No, that's, that's too... How old are you? No, no, it would have been earlier. I would have been 21 or 22. Now I think about it. I'm trying to think of my own timeline too. Oh, 2015, 2016. Well, I meet Ash in 2015. Yeah, okay. Or so 20, then end of 2014, any 2014, 2015. Yeah, 2016, I had the breakdown and... Okay, so you so Ash is well and truly in the picture. Yes. Yeah, so I was, what, 22? Yeah. Ish. Anyway, uh, around then. Um, uh, so you go in through that. Uh, um, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's listening to Ash talk about Cam. Yeah. And mum knew how much, because obviously I'd call her a lot, and she knew how much I was struggling with all of it. Um, it's been a 15 year battle of anxiety and depression, you know. So by that point, yeah, it was, um, I think I was seeing a therapist, but sort of only just scrapes the sides sometimes with that sort of work. So, I mean, even SPP is sort of scraping the sides a little bit, but... Um, yeah, it kind of scrapes the sides, breaks you open, then goes, all right, go figure it out. Which, yeah, you know, go fair just enough. like... Yeah. <laughs> I did, you did two rounds as well. Yeah. yeah so, me too. yeah, the first one, I think I had to wait a few months because of health insurance and all that. So, I think I went in between your engagement party and April's engagement party. Uh. Yeah, I went in in that, between that sort of period... I think it was a January, February of 2017. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, the engagement party was in Melbourne. Yeah. Our one. Yeah. So, South Pacific, you know, I have my experience of it. What was what was it like going to South? The first time, let's, let's mm. stick it to the first time. The first time, I wasn't nearly vulnerable enough. Mm, always the way. Yeah. Um, and... I didn't go into changes because they knew I wasn't ready for that sort of um, level of therapy. Um, it was amazing and it definitely changed a lot and helped me a lot. Um, 
Actually, no, it did help a lot. And then Dan died and I felt like I got, I regressed about 10 years. So I'd come out of that and I had a year of living in the mountains again. I was working at Best Practice with Emma's um, mum's company, their bookkeeping company. Doing the admin. Yep, finding my feet again. I'd realised I'd learned a lot from my previous job and was actually okay. The January of, December, January of, 2017 to 2018 I remember I came back so it was January 2018 I remember coming back from a festival in Lawn and going wow for the first time in like 10 years I'm feeling okay about dad's death I'm sort of able to process through this more life is going to be okay and then I remember a friend died at school and at his funeral I was like this was January 17th or something like that and I was like looking at his brother and I was like fuck I cannot imagine going through something like that and then like six weeks later Dan dies and I have obviously none of us have never ever been the same since but Emma sort of said something the other day where she was like after Dan died your light sort of shut off and I don't know if you've ever been the same since and I haven't and I, like yeah i it's amazing i i i don't know i don't know if i've ever really known who i am because i don't know if anyone really knows who they am who they are but it's like that sort of compass is gone you know i don't know how to describe it it's just Yeah, and I, I think it was, yeah, the, the January of 2018 where I was like, oh, wow, I can do this. I can do the therapy, I can be happy and I can find joy and then Dan dies and I just plummet back to square one. And it's like this whole process, five, six-year process all over again of grief and depression And sort of like starting it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, Dan's death has impacted us all in, in, in our own way. Um, how did you find out? I was living in Katoomba with Emma at the time and it was a random it was a random Saturday. It was a random Saturday. And I was of all things going to Penrith to get my phone fixed or something. <laughs> Literally walking to the train to go to Penrith. And mum calls and goes completely frantic, get over here right now. Something's happened. And I was like Max and Ash have died or something like that. Not that it was that far from the truth, but that's sort of where my brain went because it was two weeks before the wedding, obviously. And my brain goes into complete panic. I don't know how else mum would have said. There's nothing else she could have said in that scenario. It was just, yeah, I went into complete panic, tried to call Cindy actually because I was like, maybe she's around and she could pick me up and take me there because I just was like, fuck, I'm freaking out. 
um, try call, <laughs> tried to call a cab and I couldn't even remember what street I was on. And she hadn't even told me what had happened. I just, I could tell that something was wrong. She was like, something's happened. You have to get here over here now. Um, and obviously she wouldn't tell me on the phone because that just would have been really bad. But um, so I <laughs> have to walk to Lura train station because I can't remember what street I'm on. I can't, I can't even find a number. I'm like talking to this lady. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to call you back. I don't know where I am. I'm in a bit of panic. And she was like, that's okay. No worries. So I end up just walking to the to the train station and just get in a cab and they drop me there. Where's that? Uh, at Len's place in Naranek. Oh, yeah. Mm. Remember that house? Yeah. Um, and they tell me there. So for those who don't know, 23rd of February 2018, we lose our dear brother, Dan, to suicide. Uh. And yeah, our lives are never the same again. No. In any way, I understand what you feel. I understand what you mean by that light. It's myself, it's been a long journey. Yeah. I, I liken it to the that loss that I felt from dad was obviously great. You know, losing dad and having to go through that was always mm-hmm. great. But you always expect to lose a parent. It's just it was a little earlier than anticipated. Mm. In my own experience, I had to cope with some of the things that we talked about before, that the, the, uh, inab- like the inability to self-regulate, the self-doubt, the, the insecurities. There are these sort of personas, these parts, these, crea- these characters that you create to cope with life and to get on through life. Losing Dan shattered all those for me. Mm. And I found myself very confused mm. and sort of I don't know why but I always think of the words naked and afraid mm-hmm. and it was kind of like that yeah. feeling of being completely exposed yeah. and having none of the cruxes that I used um, I, I, the, the whole, my whole world had been shattered the illusion had been shattered everything that I thought I cared about no longer mattered Yeah, I wasn't interested in any of it all of the no. authentic things that I'd sort of pushed down suddenly were coming up and I was sort of spun out for a long time going like why have I why am I doing these things yeah why have I become this person yeah. you know to an extent why am I married as well like yeah. what, where, what, what's happening um yeah. and you know I, I love my darling ex-wife and thank god she's been in my life at times we, we, we both Helped each other through through a pretty tragic time. Mm. It was two weeks before my wedding. But what's it like? We all have our own relationship with Dan. Um, obviously, it's that, it's that, that's what relationships are. But yours is complicated. Complicated. Yeah. I mean, Dan and I were always very close, um, in a a not so much talkative way because Dan wasn't really. Oh, well, to me, he wasn't really a talker. No. Um. And I think, in a way, we had a lot of solidarity together, especially watching Dad in the last year or two of his passing or his life. Um, and we were always... He was always very emotional. Uh, he was always very supportive. Well, 
See, this is why it's complicated. When he was when he was available emotionally, he would always be there. So when Dad and I would have huge fights, he would always comfort me. Um, and I do remember Dan always be very being very comforting. But Dan going through his own trauma and grief and illness. Um, oh yeah, we haven't even got to that. No, we haven't even got to that part. It was always like there was a wall between us. I think. Um, But like dad, he always had, yeah, he always had, I don't know, I think he just saw something I didn't, I guess. What do you mean by that? I think for me, I have been insecure and doubting myself for the past 15 years, 16 years. And who I authentically am is is layered underneath anxiety and depression, dad's illness, dad's death, going through high school, more anxiety and depression, Dan's death. And then there's me at the bottom and I think like he could see, him and dad could always see that. I mean, all of you have always seen that actually. I, I don't, yeah, it's just... I think some people see different parts of you that you don't or they bring out different parts of you that that you don't have with other people, I guess. And even when I talk about him, it's like there's a film across my brain. It's a really weird feeling. It's like I'm here and and he's there. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but it's just, I just feel so other, I guess. It's probably the best way of describing it. You're disconnected. Yeah, very disconnected. And it was always so complicated with Dan because I could, I mean, we could all see it, but, you know, drinking beer when you've got a liver disease and all that sort of crap. And I, I don't know if Dan was even mildly bipolar at times because of his depression was so extreme and his moods were so extreme. I mean, we all have extremes, but his were like, he's up here and now he is just down in the depths of whatever it is that he was going through. Mm. Um, Did you know much about his illness at the time? Um, not a lot. I can't even remember what the name is. <laughs> Primary sclerosis, yeah, cholangitis. There you go. Um, I, I think that's how you say it. I always get confused as well. Yeah, I, I can only just remember dad's because it's easy to remember. But I would hear bits of it from mum and I would hear her frustration. Um, and I would feel, I've always felt a lot of frustration because he would never talk about it and he would never let you in to talk about it. And there is no way you could have supported him in that. And, um, he in no way, shape or form wanted to be any sort of burden or let us support him. So it was like it just didn't exist. And it was always sort of the elephant in the room. So, well, that's how I felt about it anyway. Yeah. Because he just couldn't. I mean, Dan was fucking celiac and none of us knew. I mean, that was not his problem. That was a that was the medical system fucked up. Um, and he didn't get diagnosed until he was 
what, 23 or 24 or something, and he was sort of dealing with it for however long. Um, yeah, so there always, was always so much frustra- <laughs> frustration because it's just like, I just want to talk to you about this, but you won't let me. No. Um, and I, I was always too much of a people pleaser to get frustrated with him. I mean, back then I didn't have as much... Um, of a block around upsetting people, but I, f- I never felt like he never wanted to talk about it, so I, I never pushed it. Whereas sometimes I wish I just had screamed at him and said, I'm going to fucking talk about this. I and mean, you can't do that to people, but that's sort of how you feel sometimes. <laughs> we never really, sp- I don't know about you, but I don't remember ever having conversations around dad's illness. We just sort of, you just, it was there. It was there and you just got on with it and, you know, mum and dad were in hospital and it wasn't like, oh, they've gone to hospital. It was like, oh, well, it looks like we're cooking dinner tonight or it looks like yeah. we're all home alone tonight or it looks like, hey, what's happening again? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when I was 15 and this is a bit of a shame for me, but I remember dad was once again being wheeled away by ambulance people and I, I think I just went back to look on my, read my book because I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Disassociating. Yeah, and I think the ambulance guy was looking at me like, is she okay? <laughs> Mum was like, no. <laughs> Obviously not, but I literally sat on the couch and read my book because I was like, I can't. Happened every other week. Yeah, I just I just couldn't cope. No. I was trying to like be in life and I was just like watching Dad go to the hospital every other week. It was just like, I can't fucking do this. No. Um, so I often wonder why I am... <laughs> I am the way I am and then I have moments like this where I sort of talk about what my life has been and I go okay that's why <laughs> yeah you, you need to you need to read myth of normal by Gabo Mate and okay. it might provide some solace as yeah to the reason why you develop these coping mechanisms yeah. these conditions yeah it's just your brain's trying to keep you alive in actually kind of keep you alive yeah 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 it's not Absolutely. anything to do with you yeah you you okay. you are not responsible for any of it. No. No, it, it is, it's actually an autom- automatic system that you are not in... Rel- if you want to think about the observer, if, if you take a step back as to your mirror, mm. to your analogy before about watching Dan over there, step back and watch your own life and then see how the human mind was just trying to adapt to mm. very traumatic experiences to keep you alive and so it develops what we call conditioning and adaptations neurological adaptations to deal with stress and to deal with pain and to deal with grief absolutely because it's not been taught how to regulate yeah and it's not been given the information to understand and the thing that (laughs) i've the thing that i find most frustrating and i know this is a a universally wide experience for people that I'm not I'm not in this fight or flight situation anymore you know I'm I've got a stable home I've got a stable job and I'm out of that peak period of of grief and and trauma but it will just come up with the most random things in my job in my everyday life the experience is the same and it just like you said because you're conditioned to to cope with life the way you're the way you've been taught or the way your body and brain has has taught you to do that and the reconditioning process is well (laughs) (laughs) well man yeah well because i liken it to 
a computer yeah. is that you have to update the programs. You got to delete the old programs. But <sighs> unlike a computer where you just go in and highlight the program and then delete and throw it in a rubbish oh, bin man. and then restart and it's all done, the human brain will run multiple programs concurrently. So I yeah, have totally old programs that I've gone through and you know that's what talk therapy is about and yep. it's about learning about your program so you can see them and then so through mindfulness and meditation you can observe yep. these 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 conditions these, mm-hmm. these what I, I like to use computer analogies these programs and then you go in and you do all this inner work and you look at the core beliefs you've come up and you look at all the yep. traumas that have created all these conditions you know, the ADD the depression the anxiety yep. they're all just responses to environment yeah but you can't just go in and delete them. No. I've tried to. Yeah. And then they still run. And then yep. the new ones run. And so you're running these two concurrent processes. And yep. that's just, yeah, it changes. The, the brain doesn't actually want to change. No, it doesn't. It likes and where it was because that's what it thought was safe. Yeah. And I feel that. I feel that in my bones. I feel that <laughs> comfort of yeah. not wanting to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And staying like, but that's that's what I know. That's like, what you know. I don't want to move out of into this unknown because... That's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I haven't – or even like getting back to that kid that I was at like 13, 14 who didn't have – not even didn't have a filter but it was like I wasn't as sort of conditioned to have to think about every thought and word that comes out of my mm. mouth because of how it's going to affect someone emotionally and like so having exhausting. yeah and like being at a laugh and you know people would think I was funny and when I was 15 because I was just sort of inhibited by life I just didn't care yes I didn't care if I'd said something stupid because it just didn't really matter well something that I've learned is that and you know you might relate to this is that as much as you retreated into your books, into your movies, and into your, you know, the escapism, mm. there's an element of it where we actually as- we retreat out of our own body. Yes. And it's when you're in the moment, in the body, and whether it's like when you, you know, I said it to to my girlfriend the other day, my partner about it. I said, oh, I'm often funniest when I'm not meaning to. Yes. And she's like, it's because you're not thinking about it. Yes. And I'm often in the same thing. I'm thinking, I'm over, like, hyper vigilant. Yeah. You have to be. Yeah. It's like, well, any changes in our environment were so traumatic that we had to be so aware of it. And it's oh, so totally. painfully exhausting. But yeah. some of the work I'm venturing on next is is about getting back into the body. Mm. Um, so it's lots of yoga, lots of jujitsu, yep. doing somatic therapy. Yeah. It's retraining our minds that it's mm. okay to be in the body, to be I, in the moment. Yeah. And I've done so much different therapy over the years, but that that process is always the hardest. And I don't know, like I still haven't quite gotten it that gotten it yet because it's just painful. Well what Fuck. what yeah, what's it like when you when when it, you know you've lost some significant people, not just in our immediate family, obviously but mm. you know, we've, we've we have a big extended family too, and so death is a really it's prominent. It's, yeah, that's the mm. statistically it's when you've got fifty odd people in a family, often not quite that many, but when you've got partners oh, as well. Yeah. But Mum's one of seven, there's 25 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, uncles and aunts. You know, death is going to be a part of life. And Mm. and our own family went through a little bit too much death (laughs) early on. I think so, yeah. But what happens to you now when you relive the pain of, let's say, Dan? It's different to Dad, but what's it like? What what what, what happens for you? I'm disassociating. Mm. 
Um, and What's it, that like? It's painful, but it just feels so other. And it's like my body doesn't even want to recognise that it's in in a lot of pain. So it will just like... I feel like there's there's a sheet over me or there's a film over me, even when I talk about it. You're not in it. No. Yeah, I feel like my brain has like gone fuzzy or something. And I often wonder why I'm so tired and that's probably why. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to hold that the whole time. Yeah. You're trying to hold that disassociation or... It's a lot of energy. It is, yeah. Yeah. Is there a time in the future, do you think, when you feel you can embrace that part of you that feels the pain so viscerally and not reject it out of fear? Um, yeah, I think my work with Erica um, is quintessential to that experience. Um, and I have come a long way, a long way in the last year, like exponentially. But I know that there is a huge amount to go mm. still. I mean, that's just life. But It's not. Yeah, okay. It's not just life. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's, it's not the common experience. <laughs> it's, well, not common. It's People go through different experiences and obviously there's everyone goes through trauma indifferently. But it's not just life. It's, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's a process and mm. it takes a lot of courage mm. and it takes a lot of guts to look at it. It's not just life. Yeah. It's not just something that you do. Like not no. everyone goes through trauma and all right, now I need to do this work. It's not just something you do. It takes a lot of guts. I think you should, as I'm looking at you now <laughs> and giving you a compliment to yes. say that it takes some fucking serious... I don't want to use sexist terms here. I say coonhooners, but that implies that men are somehow tougher. It takes a lot of courage. Let's yeah. just use that word to, it, to, yeah. to face it, it to confront it, and to yeah. change. And so, I just wonder what you know. I've often thought this myself. Why I do it? What, what, what do you think? Why do you choose to confront it to change? What is that motivation? Um, I've sort of been grappling with this in the last couple of months, where. I I don't want to live my the rest of my life limited by these experiences because I know in my heart that I can not necessarily do more but I'm not reaching my capacity and I I refuse refuse to live the rest of my life in this state of constant fear and self-loathing and never allowing myself to actually have a life I, I deserve. Um, and I think in the last couple of months I've realised it's, it's, it is about change but the biggest lesson I've had to learn is actually about acceptance um, because for a long time I thought that I actually had to change. Sorry, I had to change who I inherently was, rather than showing up and having compassion for that person, and not necessarily like changing, but 
you know, you don't really have to change at all, but you just have to love yourself and and be not even love yourself, but have compassion for the part that fucking hates you, you know? And that is so hard. <laughs> that is so hard because who you feel like is just wrong and somehow they're bad and you're not right and you're not enough and I, I just don't want to spend the rest of my life in this much anxiety and this much depression and it's just not worth it. It's, yeah. And sometimes I just want to give up because it's, it's showing up for yourself every fucking day. And this week, <laughs> this week, oh man, it's been tough. Yeah. So I, that's sort of the motivation. It like on the surface level, it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to have, I will always have anxiety and depression. I don't want it to let it rule my life and I don't want it to be the focus of my life. I don't want to constantly be complaining about how tired I am or how, how I feel just anxious and I can't do anything and then it goes down to you know wanting to develop myself and reach my full potential and then underneath that I think it's it's actually about self-compassion and letting go of judgment and accepting the shadow actually (sighs) (laughs) that fucking shadow yeah um the pain body yeah I was yeah. speaking to someone the other day about shadow or shadow work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, often in life there'll be relationships, whether romantic or otherwise, you know, friends or family that bring out our, like, show up our shadow for us to confront, for yeah. us to embrace it. And, oh. yeah, they sort of, they were drawing the, the comparisons, the symbology to actually, to Lord of the Rings mm. and to the scene of Gandalf isn't about him going down to fight the bell rock it's actually the symbolism of that is him having the courage to descend into shadow oh so gandalf the gray goes down to shadow mm. into the depths of it and he confronts what others won't yeah and comes out gandalf the white yeah right and so you see the light and so this idea that and look it's 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 a, sh- it's a shame i think you know for me in my experience i'm i've got to the place of that I've, I still haven't come to full acceptance, but it's, as you said, it's hard. Mm. But there's some gratitude to my life, mm. um, to the experiences, how, however challenging and however painful they've been, mm. is because it's sent me on this path that I've sort of gone through this awakening, this mm-hmm. sort of this and, and this reconnection with authenticity. Um, but I'm still very much, I've gone down to the shadow part. Mm. I'm on the ascension part, like mm-hmm. I've descended. So I was sort of talking to you about my tattoo. Um, yep. Anyone who doesn't understand, Katie's helping me design a tattoo on my back, which sort of represents, I guess, sort of my journey. Mm. And I kind of like the idea of like the dragon is me descending down yep. to the dragon because it's the symbology of the dragon for me is sort of it's the monster that I have yeah. to confront. And then from rises out of that is the phoenix, like yep. rising out of the, the rebirth um, of that. Descending into the shadow, your own shadow, your own personal experience, mm. what's it like? as well bringing the baggage of the grief f- 
for losing two people or and everyone else in the life that we've lost. But mm. Dan and Dad especially, you got to yeah. take that grief with you when you go down to shadow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I. Because you got to confront your own pain, and then you got to, and then when you confront your own pain, then you also then have to relive all the other pain. Mm. That's what I found. Mm. How is it being? coming back to your own body and then having to then really feel the pain of, of what it's like to lose people close. It, I don't know because I don't know if I've ever actually let myself do it. And... If I'm being yeah, if I'm being honest, I don't know if I've ever actually let myself experience the full extent of losing them both. Because it feels like a, a black hole. Mm. And and I, I have done some like I have done a lot, you know, I've done a lot of work, but you know, it, the fear of falling in it still it, it still ha- still haunts me a little bit. It still haunts me, I think. So, I, I don't know if I'm quite there yet to accept that pain. And I've I've done a bit of work with Erica around Dan, but I, I I'm realizing now that I think it's just scraping the surface of it. Um, because grief can be such a monster. Mm. And I think like. I think my grief around dad is is okay. Like to a certain extent his life was so tortured that it sounds awful but it was a relief for him to be released. And I know that that's a pretty intense thing to say. But he was free. But Dan was like like just sort of ripped out a chunk of your heart and you're just like, yeah, cool, all right. I'll just walk around <laughs> without it now. That's fine. <laughs> and I, I have done a lot of, yeah, I have done a lot of shadow work, but that that is a beast in my mind actually. And I'm sort of just realising this now, but that is a huge beast to me. And I, I don't know if I've fully fully gone there yet. When you, when you After this conversation, when you got some space, look up Dark Night of the Soul. Okay. Death of the ego. Yeah, it's, it's what we're talking about. It's yeah. the collapsing of, yeah, the collapsing of all of this stuff. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of work with Erica around my old beliefs and and things like that. But man, oh man, we have just scratched. I mean, it's sort of hard because it's like you've got layers upon layers upon layers, and who I was this time last year is vastly different to who I am this year. Um, of course. Yeah, but... So, yes, there is there is a lot to go, but it's amazing how far I've come and I think it, I have to start acknowledging that because I give myself such a hard time. Um, we share that. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to commend yourself. Yeah. Even looking at this. Yeah, even, even wanting to go there. Because most people descend into shadow... Descend into the darkness you know, using the symbology, and they don't. They don't return. No. They don't look at it. No. They don't fight the bell rock. They yep. don't fight the monster. They don't fight the dragon. Yep. They I stay in it. 
I have recently listened to Carolyn Elliott's Existential Kink. Oh, yeah. I fucking love that book because whether or not, like, her premise is you take kinky pleasure in all of the shit things that happen in your life. Yeah. And whether or not you believe that you find pleasure in that is doesn't is sort of null and void. It's the in a weird way it just helps you drop the shame and the guilt that comes with like your shadow. Yeah. Okay. And actually helps you embrace it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I mean I'm I'm really want to do some of her exercises because I think they would really help, but it was. It's a very interesting concept, um, because I think it just helps you have compassion for that part of yourself. If anything else, did you? Did you? Have you got the audio? Mm, listen to it. Yeah, yep. I was looking at buying that. Maybe I will buy that. Mm. And so, what, look, we're coming to that to that time where it's. What? what where do you? Where do you go from here? this journey that's a good question because it's mentally been a really challenging week for me um i've started a new role i've moved house um and starting a new role it's sort of brought up a lot of insecurities um as it does um and then the fabulous pms that comes with being a woman (laughs) and going through having periods just like brings me to a state of despair sometimes, actually, yeah. every month. Um, so that's sort of been happening as well. So that doesn't really help. Guess not. No. So from here... I can't even begin to imagine it. Like I go through a 15-minute f- testosterone cycle and testosterone is not that big a deal. Yeah. You guys go through a, women go through a 28-day cycle and... I, I just like... That especially like the PMS, like the week before my period. Yeah. I feel like my and it's very dramatic like my world has ended i'm back to my depression again and back to my old ways of being anxious and i'm insecure and everything is difficult and um i think it's just like i have to just keep showing up i guess it's really the only way i can describe it and yeah. i mean i was even just telling mom earlier like i'm <laughs> I'm so done. I'm so tired. Like, I don't know what else to do. Um, I think you just have to keep doing the work. I don't, yeah. It's, I commend you <laughs> for getting up every day and facing uh. it and to go through just the natural biological stuff you have to go through <sighs> as well as your life and processing all this stuff. Yeah. And also just to your point before about it's just life. You've got to go to work. You yeah. Know, we, we, live in a, we live in a society that requires admission to a system. You know, yep. you, you can't just exist on no. a, in, a, in, a, in a tribe on the, on the land, you know, <laughs> like we used to a few thousand years yeah. ago. You've got you to show up. You've got to show up. You've got to go to work. You've got to iron your clothes. You've got to wash your dishes. You've got to make your bed. And then you've got to confront the pain body and the shadow and you've got mm. to go to therapy and you, mm. you, you've got to also try to pretend to have some fun at the same time. The, fu- the fun is that that's this year. I think that would be my focus this year. It's because like, yes, as as, as important as it is as it is to keep doing this this intense work, I, I've forgotten how to actually have fun. Yeah, well, forgotten what actually brings me joy. I just sort of lost that in the last fifteen years. <laughs> Laura, Laura said to me a great um, 
thing on Instagram the other day, which was um, you got to reconnect with your clown chakra. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So that's that's sort yes. of my thing, and that to, for me, that's about coming back into body. That's yeah. about coming back into yeah. to not being in the head, to not escaping into the head. Mm. Um, that's really hard. Yeah, look, it's 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 a, it's a lifetime of protecting yourself. Yeah, um, especially like you know, yesterday I spent all night on my phone. Yeah, because I mean, admittedly, I was in quite intense period pain. Um, but be kind to yourself. Yeah, so it's it's sort of a, a catch, and I think this is where I guess that compassion comes in, isn't it? Where you sort of go, yes, I was on my phone all night, but I also just couldn't cope with much more. <laughs> so it, it's that balance, I think. Look, self care has different, yeah, shows up in different ways. I think mm. compassion is a big part of self care. Um, how how are you feeling now after this conversation? I know we've tried it for a couple of. It's been a, well, I've been talking about doing the podcast for a mm. while. Mm. I needed I had I needed some space from it last year, and we sort of tried to tee it up, and mm. we're sort of we're through it. How how do you feel yeah. about it? How do you feel about the chat? Um, it's always double sided. Um. I actually love talking about my life. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of freedom in that. Yes. But it's also painful. And that's okay, as we know. But I it was funny because I went to the doctor. So I was just finally a bit sick of feeling so exhausted all the time. And I was like, you have to help me. And she was asking me about my life. And I still get like pretty emotionally exhausted after talking about it. Yeah. Like coming away from that, I was sort of like, oh my God. <laughs> What just happened? Because she was asking me about my family history. Yeah. And we were just kind of going through it and she was sort of looking at me like, what is going on? Yeah. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean all this stuff? Yeah, what do you mean this is all going on and this has all happened to you? Um, so, it's, there's a lot of duality. And I think life is all about duality, isn't it? The light and the dark, the good and the bad. Well, it's it's about not getting stuck in the duality and embracing yeah. the fact that we are both light and dark. Yeah, that there is the yin and yang. Yeah, that you've got to walk that line. Morality is there is nothing. That, there is no good or bad. No. And as Shakespeare said, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Oh my God, that is the most real quote that anyone's ever said, really. Yeah, and so you got to keep reminding yourself of that. Well, you've got to embrace it. Mm. You can't reject anything. You just have no. to accept that this is how I feel, this is how I this is who I am, this is what goes on. Haven't I haven't quite gotten that far yet. Sometimes I can do that, but yeah. It's not the good with the bad. Yeah. Uh how do you feel if we stop it there? Yeah, I think that's good. You you're okay. You don't yeah. feel like we're just going to it's like doing, doing a therapy session and then someone's like, all right, time's up. you got to get the, fuck out of my, get the fuck out of my room now. No, no, I think that's a good place to you're, stop. You're I think okay. it's naturally come to a good end. You know. feel, feel contained enough to, yes. to, yep. to end Keep it. Keep going. You know. <laughs> do you not want to do any more? I, no. no. No, I think that's good. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, I really um, – I'm going to use the word. I'm, I'm really proud of you mm. for wh- what you've been doing, mm. the work you've done. You. Listening to your story – point of this has inspired me and it's reminded me of a few things mm. um, so I commend you and mm. I'm uh, I'm I'm impressed mm, by you. your guts and I'm and I'm really grateful for you coming on this with me this little pro- yeah. my little my little project yeah. um, it's yeah this is this is something that I've really wanted to to connect with learning mm. about other people's experiences yeah of 
life for the universe and Dan. So mm. I really, really appreciate you. No, it's a it's a huge time. it's a huge privilege and it's really nice to be able to share my story actually. Nice work. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, Cooks. Alrighty. All right, cheers. Bye.